Sheikh Abadur, thank you very much for agreeing to participate in the series of conversations that I'm hosting on behalf of the Center for Strategic Philanthropy at the University of uh, Cambridge, which is also your alma mater. Uh, yeah. It's uh, always an honor to speak with you, um, and this is a great opportunity for us to hear uh, from you directly on uh, a number of philanthropy-related issues that I know you're passionate about, um, along with your general outlook for uh, the sector in the Middle East. Her Excellency Sheikh Abidur bin Sultan al-Qasimi is uh, a pioneering uh, publisher, businesswoman, philanthropist, uh, and general trailblazer, and a proud daughter of the uh, cultural capital of the Arab world, uh, our beloved uh, Emirate of Sharjah in the UAE. Her Excellency is the chairperson of the Sharjah International Development Authority, Sharuq, and has been a key player in the Emirates uh, in the Emirates' development into a contemporary and economic hub, which uh, has remained true to its cultural heritage. Her Excellency is also the first woman from the Arab world to be recently elected as president uh, of the International Publishers Association, uh, comprising 86 organizations from 71 countries, and her work as a champion for publishing rights uh, and the promotion of literacy and reading was instrumental in Sharjah's recognition uh, as the UNESCO World Book Capital uh, last year. An accomplished publisher herself, uh, Her Excellency is the founder of Kalimat Group, which uh, has been a leader in the publication of original Arabic children's titles uh, since 2007, I, I believe, uh, which now has five publishing imprints uh, under its umbrella. And more recently, Her Excellency uh, published her uh, which is an informal networking body that is seeking to boost the number of women in leadership roles uh, in the publishing industry. A fervent believer in the power of entrepreneurship, uh, Her Excellency also established Shara', which is the Sharjah Entrepreneurship Center in 2016, uh, which has kickstarted the development of a, a thriving and a supportive new ecosystem for an array of startups, uh, SMEs, and social entrepreneurs uh, over the last uh, five years. Sheikh Abidur is also a dedicated philanthropist, uh, founding the Kalimat Foundation for Children's Empowerment, uh, which has provided thousands of books to refugees uh, and children impacted uh, by conflict and disadvantage around the world, uh, as well as the co-founder of the Ubuntu Foundation, uh, which is where I'd uh, love to start. Your Excellency, can you begin by expanding or explaining the thinking behind the Ubuntu Foundation, uh, including how this captivating project uh, came about. And I'm also particularly interested in the five elements and ancestral framework that guides the work of the foundation and how this is uh, applied uh, in practice. Thank you, Badr, for having me today. And thank you so much for that kind introduction. I just want to start by saying, as if I didn't have enough to do already, um, I, I decided uh, to set up the Ubuntu Foundation. And it really uh, shows how important it is at this time in our life and in society. Um, in my opinion, the Ubuntu Foundation is something that, that hopefully will create positive change um, across the Middle East and Africa. So the seeds of the Ubuntu Foundation were planted when 
the Ubuntu Love Challenge campaign took a really strong momentum. Uh, and this was ha this happened after we launched this right after lockdown, uh, the beginning of lockdown of, uh, in early 2020. And the idea of the Ubuntu Love Challenge is simple yet powerful. It's built on African ancestral wisdom. The word Ubuntu reflects that really clearly. It means I am because we are. And the spirit of togetherness and interconnectedness was really needed as the world was hit with the most difficult crisis in living history. As you know, the Ubuntu Love Challenge took off rather quickly with celebrities and business people and philanthropists such as yourself joining the challenge and offering something back to the community. The success and the impact of the Ubuntu Love Challenge encouraged us to continue and to grow and expand and multiply that effect globally. We also wanted to sustain our efforts beyond the pandemic days, which I hope will be over soon. So as a human family, we learned a few lessons during this pandemic. We know the world needs more we thinking and less I thinking. We know the world needs more collaboration and less competition, and it needs more interconnection and less exclusion. So in that context, we decided that the best way to sustain and continue this project in the future was to set up the Ubuntu Foundation. The Ubuntu Foundation aims to elevate human consciousness while supporting the regeneration of our planet. It also adopts a holistic approach, a different one from other philanthropic organizations, as you mentioned in your question. So in that sense, we want to support and promote innovative social business initiatives that will help regenerate the five elements necessary for human upliftment, which are air, fire, water, earth, and love. And so love is about culture, education, healthcare, and ancient wisdom that tap into our heart center. Earth, sustainable projects in agriculture and mining. Air, we will look into projects that are connected to wind, power, energy, and clean tech. Water, we will look into structured resources of water. And fire, we will look into alternative sources of clean energy. We want to be proactive towards creating a new vision for our our planet, so a new earth, if you will. And we will support sustainable projects around these five elements that tap into this vision and that are connected deeply to the Ubuntu philosophy. And to achieve that, we'll empower and promote local heroes making a difference in their communities, and we'll offer them a global platform for greater support and sharing best practices for the benefit of everyone. Beautiful, and um, you know, any, any time would be a good time to launch something like this, but as you say, particularly uh, amidst the pandemic um, and the, the local approach and the localization of those efforts, I think is particularly important. Uh, as you know, we, we are um, uh, having this conversation under the auspices of the uh, Center for Strategic Philanthropy, uh, which of course is focused exclusively um, on philanthropy, both within and from uh, the world's growth uh, markets. Uh, are you seeing evidence that the nature of philanthropy is changing in these regions, um, including in Africa and the Middle East? Uh, and what do you think uh, might be driving that change? Yes, absolutely. Changes are indeed happening in philanthropy in MENA and Africa. This was the case even before the pandemic, but I think COVID-19 crisis has elevated the voice of philanthropists from our region. For at least a decade now, we've seen movement where charitable giving has morphed into strategic philanthropy and hybrid models, where commercial capital is mixed with social invest investment and structure such as impact investing, 
which is really important development in my opinion. In emerging markets, this process has taken longer and has been less institutionalized than in countries where capital markets are more mature. But even in the MENA region and in Africa, we've seen this move towards more innovative ways of financing philanthropy, moving from grants, for example, to interest-based loans, coupled with a new drive towards more entrepreneurial models, such as social enterprises. And I think these new models are driven by the growing understanding of opportunity of philanthropic capital and the greater sense of social purpose that these youth-dominated regions present. As you know really well, Badr, both in Africa and in the Arab region, we have the youngest populations. And these populations are digitally savvy, they're entrepreneurially minded, and they're socially driven. And they've clearly brought new ideas to the sector, and I think we should welcome and encourage that. The days of simply establishing a foundation and giving out hundreds of random grants are over. Today, young people want to see faster technologically smart systems changing the ways of creating social value. And the gravity and urgency of the pandemic has further entrenched this trend and meant that effective and efficient delivery of social solutions is more critical and ideas that the youth have been championing are coming into their own. So I'd love to um, revisit a couple of those things that you mentioned now, including entrepreneurship. But uh, before we do, um, I want to just touch on the humanitarian dimension, because I know you've had uh, a number of projects in that sphere. Um, there are 80 million uh, or more uh, forcibly displaced people in our world, uh, and a majority of them live here in the Middle East. Uh, through the Kalimat Foundation, you've sought to help to meet some of the most basic needs uh, of refugee children, which make up 50% uh, of, of refugees um, through literacy. And I'd love to hear more about your experiences here. What, what are some of the acute challenges facing refugee children that you're working on? And what can philanthropists and others, including businesses, uh, be doing to help address some of these needs in a practical way? So as you've said, uh, but the refugee communities are perhaps the most vulnerable and often hidden communities. And this is one of the reasons we decided in Kalimat Foundation to focus on sharing books and encouraging a culture of reading in refugee communities. We wanted to give children tools to express their voices and assert their existence, and also give them a fighting chance to create a better future. I think what they need most is quality education and accessible healthcare services. And these two aspects will give them the opportunity to obtain and retain employment and build a secure life for themselves and their families. And despite the fact that COVID stopped all travel and prevented us from accessing the analog world, it forced us to use tools and platforms of cyberspace. And I think this shift needs to move vertically across all philanthropic efforts to the communities that we're trying to serve. So in that context, connectivity issues are still a major problem in many of the refugee communities. And I think the rapid adoption of digital technology can radically transform the way we engage and also the way we serve these communities. So the need to digitize education has been paramount across the globe. And we've seen multiple foundations working with local governments to fast track the digitization of education. And I believe that this can provide an opportunity for innovation around how we provide regular quality education to children in refugee communities that might not be able to access or even have a local school. 
Again, we need to make sure that connectivity is not an issue, but the potential to use software to improve access to education for these communities, in my opinion, is huge. Equally, telemedicine is trending across the globe now, and we can also offset the shortage of medical facilities often prevalent in refugee communities. So we must leverage the power of technology to better support refugee communities. And digital education, connectivity, and telemedicine are just some of the aspects that need to be explored further by governments, businesses, and philanthropists to maximize the opportunities of the digital revolution to serve these vulnerable communities better. And on another one of your uh, ventures, um, as I mentioned, uh, of course, you created Publish Her uh, a few years ago. Um, as a way to increase the number of women in leadership roles within the uh, publishing industry. What advice would, would you give to young women around the world that might be considering a career in the publishing sector, but also generally in the social sector? So as you mentioned, Bader, Publish Her is really close to my heart. And I'll just give you a quick uh, introduction of why I uh, set up uh, Publish Her. I was always finding myself to be the only woman in publishing circles around the world. Um, and wherever I went, whether it was Italy or Frankfurt or London, um, I would look around and there would be predominantly men in the room. And I thought that can't really be the case. We need to support women into leadership positions, into publishing. So I've been working in publishing for quite some time, as you know, as well as other sectors. And I thought that the best advice I could give is to say to aspiring young women, first, you know, value yourself and your achievements, however insignificant they may be to you. Value yourself and spend time and effort really learning about yourself. To be successful, you have to start from understanding the kind of person you are and then go from there. Build on the good parts and learn how to deal with weaknesses. Also, I believe that confidence is extremely important. In a world where gender balance is far from achieved, I think confidence is key to moving up the ladder and making a difference. So I tell women, be confident, be bold, don't undersell yourself, and remember to help other up-and-coming women. But also, be authentic. People will see through you if you're not 100% genuine and committed to what you do. And finally, I would add, take care of yourself. You can't always achieve everything that you want when you want. So take time to stand back, relax, take care of yourself and be flexible to make any necessary adjustments to your career path. All very impactful advice, equally applicable, I think, to men uh, as well as women um, and, and especially youth, as you say, many of, and as you mentioned, of course, the MENA region uh, being extremely youthful um, from a demographic perspective. Uh, brings me also to, I guess, revert to uh, a previous point you made about entrepreneurship, and I'd like to just uh, address that uh, in a little bit more detail. Um, as the founder of Shara, you, you're known uh, for being passionate about supporting entrepreneurship and cultivating uh, the local startup scene. Have you found there to be an intersection between entrepreneurship uh, and what is driving social change uh, in our region? And how do you think that technology uh, and youth participation uh, is changing the nature of philanthropy and social entrepreneurship uh, across the Middle East and, and also North Africa? Such an interesting question. I really love this question. Um, 
I believe that technology is now a catalyst for enterprise. And we've seen this globally, especially in our region. So many of the social enterprises that we come across are built on technology platform and have digital built in their DNA. And obviously, this has huge pluses. First, it means that the opportunity to scale is in our, our ordinate and goes way beyond their analog predecessors. And secondly, by underwriting these businesses with technology, we are able to ride the wave of the data revolution, bringing with it much better evidence-based products, improve ways of capturing our impact, better sharing of social needs, and perhaps most importantly, the opportunity to share data quickly and cheaply across borders. So this will help to avoid the mistakes of the, the past and reinvent the wheel. And we've seen this during COVID where the crisis forced organizations to capture, analyze and share data perhaps more quickly and more efficiently than they had historically. Trying to figure out which community needed what at the start of the crisis in absence of travel and conferences and face-to-face -face meetings was hugely dependent on digital platforms and digital sharing and wholesale adoption of technology tools such as Zoom. So this in turn, of course, feeds naturally into the space of digital natives who were quickly and very naturally able to adopt a fully virtual approach to living and working where earlier generations might not have. In our region, we know that enterprise has been driven mainly by youth. And we know that most enterprises in MENA, unlike other parts of the world, are established and scaled by young people. And we also know that these entities have intrinsically a sense of social purpose, even if they're commercial ventures. So this was quite a departure from the past where CSR might have been bolted onto a business. Now we see it built in. And that's why we see an emergence of more and more dedicated social enterprises in the region. I think this is hugely encouraging, but we need to support the development of the ecosystem to support them. So in other markets, we see a flow of capital where traditional charitable giving connects with philanthropy, which in turn connects with the community of enterprises such as VC and angel investors. And this ecosystem is less well-developed in our region with less connectivity along the continuum, which undermines our ability to see where capital is most needed and most effective. If entrepreneurs and philanthropists and social entrepreneurs can work closely together to share data, pool capital and ensure sectoral alignment, the opportunity for technology is to better target social investment. And that's something governments can also help with by ensuring that the regulatory framework supports the emergence of this ecosystem and that this alternative to public sector spending is encouraged and facilitated. No, and I, I agree with you that I think the, um... Uh, the timing is really right uh, for various reasons, including uh, necessity uh, to really harness the potential, the entrepreneurial potential to really target social challenges and, and helping, as you said, enable not just through capital, but also helping those young and passionate spirited um, uh, entrepreneurs to understand as well as they possibly can the problem that they're trying to solve um, mm -hmm. and dedicate them their, their lives, not just to uh, creating uh, solutions, but also properly engaging in, um, in, in the communities that they're trying to, uh, uh, of course, affect with change through, through their business models. And it's an exciting, exciting to watch and, and uh, even more exciting to, to get involved wherever, wherever we, we can. Uh, f finally, um, you're obviously someone that's successfully worn multiple hats in business, government, uh, philanthropy, and of course, in the 
international publishing sector. What advice would you give to aspiring philanthropists uh, and social change makers out there? How, how, do, you, how do you go about uh, where and how to invest your time, energy and resources in order to generate the most impact that you possibly can? So I would say that there are three key elements social investors and change makers can look at. The first would be need. Where's the most need in society or the area you want to work in? And where are others fearing to tread? Philanthropy is risk capital. We can and should take risks and go where others are unable to. So doing research and understanding not only which elements of society need most help, but also where there are gaps. So clearly, if governments are already working extensively on a specific socioeconomic challenge that might not be the best place to start. Research can be hugely helpful here by identifying the gaps and ensuring philanthropy is well targeted to the right sector and the right community and the right geography and the right issue. And the second element is aligning with the national plan. So it's important to figure out what the national government's development plan is for the country to create a multiplier effect while avoiding duplication. So if, for example, governments have powerful plans for developing education, where can philanthropy provide new innovation, new ideas, rather than simply adding to what's already planned? And finally, I would assess my own personal technical capabilities, expertise, and passion. Where can I add value best? What's my passion? Where are my strengths? What kind of expertise can I bring to the table that would make a difference in people's lives? So philanthropy shouldn't be a question of value added just based on financial contribution, but also based on non-financial contribution. If I can do both and I can minimize, sorry, maximize my impact while also delivering a professional activity that I'm likely to stick with over the long term, then I believe that's a successful story. So you've beautifully summarized uh, perfectly strategic philanthropy there. Um, and as you know, of course, the center uh, is focused on um, strategic philanthropy, which is uh, increasingly, I think, gaining traction. But and I think the, the objective uh, of the center is to see how it can help to propagate uh, that thinking uh, and that practice, uh, particularly across the world's emerging markets. Sheikh Abadur, you are uh, a true inspiration to many, uh, including myself, uh, and your passion and generosity of spirit shines through in everything that you do uh, and all the amazing impact that uh, you continue to generate uh, across uh, numerous important fields. Thank you so much for sharing some of this with us uh, today and for everything that you have done and continue to do towards uh, creating a better future for many. Thank you again. Thank you so much, Bader. It's really been a privilege to be part of this conversation. Thank you.